Welcome to Shared Insights, the podcast from BA Insight. My name is Pete Wright, and I'm here with our CTO, Jeff Freed. Now, last week on the show, we started our conversation on search in life sciences, particularly the challenges faced by pharmaceutical organizations as they adapt to regulation through mergers and acquisitions, heavy research and development, clinical trials, sales and marketing, and the force that is put on data requirements and findability in these organizations as a result of all these things. So we're going to pick up right where we left off last week and ask Jeff to share some cases with us. We have a handful of them. We'll see just how far we can get this week. The first is a story of a large pharmaceutical firm that was faced with the silos that come with M&A, but that's not really what drove them to invest in taking search to the next level. The the issue uh, in their case was that the expense of new drugs continued, new drug development continues to trend up. These big blockbuster drugs can cost a billion dollars to develop or more. And the market risk in them is increasing. So this sort of throw a ton of money into drug development for very large payoff is a model that's sort of drying up. You end up with more specialized, smaller drugs or with a fewer set of blockbusters and higher risk. And therefore, they had a R&D budget of uh, nearly $6 billion, but were tasked with reducing the expense and reducing the risk from what had culturally traditionally been a, you know, no expenses barred R&D rules the roost. And they brought in a big name strategic consulting firm that worked with them and did time audits and sort of looked at what the low-hanging fruit was in terms of expense reduction. And they discovered that they were spending 56% of their R&D time duplicating existing research. Wow. It's the only case in our, you know, that, that I know of, at least in our customer base, where they've gotten that scientifically to the amount of human capital and budget that's spent reinventing the wheel. And it blows you away. It's like, okay, it's almost $6 billion and they're spending more than half of it duplicating things. They they went further with sort of the analysis and had three top reasons, you know, why is there so much duplication? I mean, obviously there may be cases where not everybody knows each other. This is a pretty big organization had been through M&A, et cetera. So research was done in uh, a large number of separate groups. So things that were seemingly unrelated research projects actually were doing a lot of the same stuff and just weren't talking to each other. This this goes to the complexity of the human organism, right? And the political organism, sure. Exactly. Or things that were in different parts of the life cycle, you know, work that's being done in a drug development part of the life cycle in one place relates to things that are happening in manufacturing or into regulatory test. And they they were really working on the same thing just from different angles. Mm -hmm. So that's a silo. That's a sort of human or organizational silo of where work is done. The, The second reason that they were duplicating effort was that they couldn't get at data that they had. Either that the content sources were very isolated and uh, people didn't know about them. They had restricted or limited access either by design or by legacy history. 
you know, typically the crown jewels of the company are in these content systems and therefore they tend to be locked down at the same time you want them accessible when you bring in new groups. Sure. In some cases, it was that sources were simply not searchable. You, you couldn't browse through things. You had to know exactly, you know, this is the project, this is the pharmacology of a particular compound at this particular stage. And in some cases, you need very specialized knowledge to, to do, for example, um, a look at chemical structure analysis. There's a language called SMILES, which is basically reducing chemical structures to a set of symbols you can use. And you need to know what SMILES is and how to read it. So that data not being accessible is also silos. In this case, silos between data systems. And, and the third reason they found was that data wasn't linked. That, um, for example, a drug can have multiple different names, either in different parts of its life cycle or in different markets, that you can end up changing the names of projects or things that end up leaving data disconnected and that people may not be connected to data. I mean, often in these research projects, you want to know everything you, you can, but then you also want to find the person that, that's sort of the deep expert. Sure. That also is silos. I mean, I look at this as a search nerd and I say the top three reasons are all silos of different types. Right. We have the techno the, the human silo, the, uh, the, the technology silo, right? And then there's this sort of combination of the two yep. that, that also leads to kind of a new silo. Exactly. So they embarked on a project to reduce the duplication of research by exposing and linking all their lifecycle data. That really meant that they, first of all, would expose the existing content to a larger audience and enable that larger audience to search it and then uh, link the content, including sort of generating missing content that they discovered in the process along the way. And this is a, obviously a journey, but that that's really the strategy with the goal of reducing this duplication of effort. And they expected that that would you know, offset these cost and risk trends by about 10%, but also open new lines of research with existing resources by about 20% and new categories of research by 30 or 40%. So the, the deduplicating research not only saves money, but also opens up sort of new categories of knowledge because a lot of the knowledge in this area is discovered serendipitously, if you will. Sure. The top priority really was exposing content to this broader audience, including negative things. Often what gets published are things that go further rather than things that are, say, this research discovered that this led up to an undesired result or this is where this is incomplete. So, you know, an undesired trait in one context sometimes can be desirable in another context. Right. It's this this exposure leads to that to that, you know, magic serendipity in the first place. Exactly. You've been yeah. you've spent all this time working on this compound which didn't pan out, but it actually works in another context. Right. Or where you discover that there's research that's co occurring, if you can connect the people together, you get you foster a whole new sort of level of collaboration. Because regulatory data was, in their case, in locked in its own system, which was an outsourced system, that was a very high priority. It tends to be very well structured and is pretty valuable so you can avoid failure or repeat success. 
the library that they built had a particular focus of enabling a connection between R&D and manufacturing to connect the sort of compounds and manufacturing processes with the adverse effects that they discovered in clinical trials and the patient reactions. So that kind of thing works in a variety of places in the in the cycle, early in the cycle, if you can connect that, you can spark improvements really early on, you know, before you go to trial, because often what ends up happening is you discover problems in a trial and then you react to them and that either you've you failed and it's hard to recover or you've just it gets more and more expensive the further you get down the pipeline. In some cases they actually discovered things while in market and could then at least connect to their marketing group to slow efforts. So the way that they implemented this was relatively straightforward from the the search perspective. It was one search across multiple sources. And they started with, I'll say, pedestrian sources. Just start with four. Documentum was their primary records management system. SharePoint was where the electronic lab notebooks fed to and where a lot of documents were around projects and things that were more informal. Mm -hmm. Um, But they also brought in external content right from regulatory record and Medline, uh, which is a, I I call it open source data. That's all done with connectors, which as you know, is one of the things BA Insight does. The other thing they did is is essentially normalize the entity extraction across them, for example, antibodies, receptors, and and use that for discovering relationships. And when I say discovering relationships, I don't mean machine learning and the machine necessarily discovering relationships. It's just if you put in, you know, one result set content from multiple different places, you put that in front of smart people, they'll discover relationships. You're in fact not not doing the heavy lift. You're surfacing those relationships or the, the potential relationships. Do you have a way of giving us a sense of scope, a sense of the scale, the sort of number of document sources you're trying to bring together? I know you said four, but, it, it, you know, sometimes you can give me, you know, a number of, of sort of documents they're trying to manage. Well, this as a project, like I think many successful projects worked in phases, right? The, the, this first four source unified view project was about 35 million items across those four sources Sure. and took about four and a half months to field. They've subsequently added additional sources, more content there at about 100 and I think 30 million items for that cross-functional view that's really getting at unlocking this data to reduce duplication of research. They never expected that they would you know, essentially eliminate all duplication of effort. The idea was right. to you know, essentially, we'll be happy if we cut that by 30, 40% and they've decreased their duplication by a factor of two. So they've cut that in half. Wow. What about these other measurables, right? The, the data not being accessible and not having it connected. I mean, they feel like they've uh, clearly, if they have cut that in half, the duplication of effort, they have realized those results as well. Yeah. Yes. Although that I personally haven't heard back. Part of this is that these kind of things tend to be relatively trade secret because it's a very competitive industry. So I, I can tell you what they've shared with us in terms of 
results. And that's when you think about cutting duplication in half, that's a huge amount of money. Whether it's in fact open new lines of research and new categories of research as expected, I can't say for sure, but I certainly expect so. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the the BA Insight products involved in in a project like this. Can you can you run us through the the sort of a high level products and how you uh, how you see them implemented? Sure, I think in this kind of unified view application, it starts with connectors. Documentum is used by a lot of our life sciences customers, but Many of them also use FileNet. There's increasingly Box or Dropbox or OneDrive for sort of you know easy sharing. The well, actually, in the case I just talked about, they use Medline, which is a essentially a harvester to go get all of this information and regulatory records. So those are connectors. Mm-hmm. In pharma, we've evolved connectors that are sort of heavily used in the industry, but also things that are quite specific, like uh, Viva Vault is a cloud-based document and records management system that's really used only in, in pharmaceutical companies. And Pharma Circle is a subscription source. It's, it's external data that, as you might guess from the name, is, is pharma-specific. So that's the connector part. The second part is the metadata creation, and that's in BA Insights portfolio, that's our auto classifier, which is doing entity extraction and markup. There are in life sciences, some industry standards, like a thing called mesh, which is a medical terms. Uh, It's an ontology that we simply uh, import into the auto classifier. But there's also integration with uh, industry specific entity extractions. There's, There's specialties for chemical structures for antibodies, for uh, drug names, and we built integrations with those. We, we're not solely focused on pharma, so we basically are stitching together the best industry-specific entity extraction. And that's a way to get things from multiple sources on a common footing. The third thing that's, that's often used is uh, our visual refiners, which is now you have metadata-rich information and most search, especially SharePoint search out of the box, is, is designed for environments like intranets that tend to be metadata poor. And that's where sort of displaying refiners, there tends to be a very heavy use of hierarchical refiners and what I call a refinding pattern and backing in and out of things. So that's that's where the visual refiners tends to be used in life sciences. So that'll give you a sense, both as a general pattern and the, the specific case I've just been talking about. Fascinating exhibition of tools, Jeff, as we unravel this journey in advanced search in the life sciences industry. We have a contact link right in the show notes. We are interested in any and all stories of your success in this domain. Just scroll down, tap the link, and you'll be able to reach out to Jeff and share your story. Thank you so much to all of you for downloading and listening to this show. On behalf of Jeff Fried, CTO of BA Insight, I'm Pete Wright, and we'll catch you next time as we continue the story on search in life sciences right here on Shared Insights.